MSW Media. News was Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, September 9th, 2020. Today, the House Oversight Committee is investigating the latest crimes committed by Postmaster General Louis DeJoy. Trump forces military and federal employees to take a payroll tax holiday in an obvious effort to defund Social Security. The Department of Justice is defending Trump in a defamation suit brought by E. Jean Carroll. And a minister admits the U.K.'s Brexit plans would violate international laws. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody, we have a very big show for you today. Uh, A little bit later, I will be speaking with uh, Natasha Bertrand. She is the national security correspondent for Politico, and I'm going to talk to her about her take on Peter Strzok's book, Compromised. And that is ahead of my interview with Peter Strzok tomorrow. We also have the Flip It Blue segment with Maryland candidate Mia Mason. And I'll be joined by comedian and activist Dana Goldberg for the Good News Block. You don't want to miss that. So many good news and quarantine confession submissions. If you want to submit your good news, whether it's political or personal or a quarantine confession, just head to dailybeanspod.com and click contact. And uh, we do have a lot of news to get to today. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, everybody, lead story today. It's bounced a little bit back and forth between a couple of different things, but I have landed on this one. From the Washington Post, the House Democrats are opening an investigation into Postmaster General Louis DeJoy and called for his immediate suspension following accusations that he reimbursed employees for campaign contributions they made to his preferred GOP politicians. That is an arrangement that would be a crime. Now, Representative Carolyn Maloney, Democrat from New York, said in a statement late Monday that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, which she chairs, would begin an inquiry, saying DeJoy may have lied to the panel under oath. So they're also looking at at, uh, 18 Code Section 1001, right? U.S. Code 18, Section 1001. That's what Stone went down for. And Flynn, yeah, so that is a federal crime. Maloney also urged the Board of Governors of the U.S. Postal Service to immediately suspend DeJoy, whom, quote, they never should have hired in the first place. Echoing her call for DeJoy's suspension were other Democrats, including Chuck Schumer, Senate Minority Leader. And a spokesman for the Postal Service referred requests for comment to DeJoy's personal spokesman, Monty Hagler, or Hagler, who said in an email that the Postmaster General had no comment at this time. Cool, cool. Maloney's announcement came a a day after the Washington Post reported allegations DeJoy and his aides urged employees at New Breed Logistics, his former North Carolina-based company, to write checks and attend fundraisers on behalf of Republican candidates. DeJoy then defrayed the cost of those contributions by boosting employee bonuses. And this is according to two employees that spoke to the Washington Post. Now, this sounds awfully familiar, right? This sounds like the catch and kill Stormy Daniels payoff where it was $130,000 and Michael Cohen took out a second mortgage on his house and then Trump reimbursed him in checks of $35,000 at a time from the Trump Organization for legal fees. Again, not legal. Now, although it can be permissible to encourage employees to make donations, reimbursing them for contributions is a violation of North Carolina and federal election laws. Uh, Such federal violations carry a five-year statute of limitations. This happened more than five years ago. But there is no statute of limitations in North Carolina for felonies, including campaign finance violations. And the attorney general of North Carolina said he's looking into it. And next, from Bloomberg News. This is just weird. The U.S. Justice Department, Department of Justice, Bill Barr, is seeking to take over the defense of President Donald Trump in a defamation suit brought by advice columnist E. Jean Carroll, who claims Trump raped her two decades ago. Uh, The move could further delay a suit in which Carroll is demanding politically damaging evidence from Trump during the final weeks before the election, including a deposition and DNA evidence, DNA sample, to compare to a DNA sample on the dress she claimed she was wearing at the time of the alleged attack. It could also leave taxpayers on the hook for any damages awarded in the case. In a court filing Tuesday, uh, Department of Justice said Trump was acting within the scope of his job as president when he said Carol lied about the incident, prompting her lawsuit. Sounds like a speech and debate kind of a thing. 
Now, the U.S. also moved uh, the case to Manhattan federal court from New York state court, where a judge last month denied his request to stall the suit. So they're moving it to federal court out of the states. Interesting. Carroll says, quote, today's actions demonstrate that Trump will do everything possible, including using the full powers of the federal government to block discovery from going forward in my case before the upcoming election to try to prevent a jury from ever deciding which one of us is lying. And this one from Forbes, coming on the heels of the Atlantic article, we know that Trump disparaged the military, and then, of course, coming out and saying that uh, the rank-and-file soldiers love him, but the top brass at the Pentagon doesn't, just driving a wedge into the chain of command there. Well, now Forbes is reporting members of the military, uh, they say here, they say, quote, members of the military take enough risk in their day-to-day jobs. Now, the 1.3 million active-duty personnel, as well as hundreds of thousands of civilian military employees, are being forced to take additional financial risks and participate in Trump's questionable payroll tax deferral scheme. Quote, all active duty military members as well as federal civilian employees will be subject to the president's upcoming payroll tax deferral. This is according to a White House official who told Federal News Network um, in a Friday evening news dump. Of course, it's Friday evening. More egregiously, the deferments are non-negotiable, meaning military members have no freedom to choose whether to participate or to opt out. This is obviously, you know, he wanted to do this as part of the stimulus package. Everyone was like, no, you're going to defund Social Security. Well, he's going to do it where he can, which is federal employees and the military. And finally, the U.K. is preparing legislation which will, quote, break international law in a very specific and limited way. This is according to a cabinet minister in the House of Commons. Brandon Lewis, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, made the comment on Tuesday in response to a question concerning legislation that's published, going to be published on Wednesday, which critics fear would alter the contents of the Brexit deal that Boris Johnson agreed with the European Union to last autumn. The comment came one day after the government was forced to play down reports in the British media that it was seeking to alter elements of the Northern Ireland Protocol. So, yeah, basically... Uh, there were, you know, rumors, a whisper campaign that they were going to alter um, the, the protocol here. And that was reported on. And now this is coming forward. And this part of the deal that Johnson's government reached with Brussels last year. This was designed to keep an open border between Northern Ireland and, and the, the Republic of Ireland. Right. That was one of the one of the issues. And a U.K. government official told reporters Monday that the government is completely committed, as it always has been, to implementing the Northern Ireland Protocol in good faith, adding that, quote, we are making minor clarifications in extremely specific areas to ensure that we implement the protocol as we implement the protocol. We are doing so in a way that allows ministers to always uphold and protect the Good Friday peace agreement. But this controversy intensified today after the Financial Times reported that Jonathan Jones, head of the U.K.'s government legal department, resigned. He resigned, reportedly over a dispute with Downing Street over its plans to challenge parts of the Brexit withdrawal agreement. And while CNN was unable to independently verify Jones's reason for resigning, Downing Street did not deny the claims in the report, and a government spokesperson said, quote, I can confirm that he is stepping down, and we would like to thank him for his years of hard service and wish him well for the future. The spokesperson would not confirm whether Jones had signed off on the government's planned legislation, nor if the government had sought his legal advice. Downing Street has confirmed that the internal market bill, due to be published on Wednesday, will contain clauses that are designed to ensure that all trade between the four countries of the United Kingdom will be unfettered and that Northern Ireland will remain part of the UK's customs territory. The government has repeatedly claimed that its plan is merely to clear up the ambiguities in the Northern Ireland Protocol and that the UK is still working with the EU to find an acceptable solution to the Irish border question. However, Lewis's admission that the legislation will breach international law will set off alarm bells in Brussels. An EU diplomat told CNN Monday that the withdrawal agreement has been signed and ratified by the UK and the EU. It is in force. If the UK, cho- cho- uh, if the UK chooses not to respect it, then theoretically the EU would have to take legal measures against the UK. So that's what's going on with Brexit. Seems like there's some backroom deals and they're changing the terms. Everybody's concerned. Somebody stepped down because of it. It hasn't been confirmed that that's why, but it seems pretty clear to me. Anyway, uh, we will be right back with 
Politico National Security correspondent Natasha Bertrand. We're going to discuss her interview and her article about Peter Strzok's book, Compromised. It's called Peter Strzok Has a Few Things He Would Like to Clear Up. It's an incredible piece um, by Natasha. You should check it out. And uh, we'll speak with her in a minute, right on the other side of this break. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG of the Daily Beans podcast. And recently, I was looking for a gift to give my friend. She's extremely hard to shop for. But I discovered PaintYourLife.com. And when I heard you could have an original painting by a world-class artist done by hand from a photo, I thought, this is a great idea. But I was like, oh, maybe it's going to be expensive. I was very pleasantly surprised to find out that PaintYourLife.com is really, really affordable, and the quality is so amazing. I highly recommend it if you want to give a truly meaningful gift. You've got to try it. Get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. Uh, Choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. Their user-friendly platform lets you order a custom-made hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. Such a quick and easy process, the ordering process. Then you get a hand-painted portrait in about three weeks. Send any picture of yourself, your kids, your family, your pod pets, a special place, or combine photos into one painting. Makes the perfect birthday, anniversary, or wedding gift. Meaningful, personal, it can be cherished forever. I love this service, too. It's simple and efficient. And, and when the finished product arrived, I was blown away by the quality of this painting. The artist really captured the essence of my friend. At PaintYourLife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, for a limited time, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word BEANS to 64000. That's BEANS to 64000. Again, text the word BEANS to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Joining me today to discuss Peter Strzok's new book is Politico National Security Analyst Natasha Bertrand. Natasha, how are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing really well. Uh, As you know, I will get to speak with Peter Strzok tomorrow. And I wanted to talk about your um, experiences here and, you know, what you have found in his book before we bring him on, sort of like a like a primer, like a like a sort of introduction to some of the the main key points. And this article that you put out in Politico, um, you know, where you're the national security correspondent, you said, Peter Strzok would like to clear a few things up. And I absolutely love this piece and I want everybody to read it. So I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about what some of the things are that you were able to speak to him about. Yeah, so this book is really interesting. It's told from the perspective, obviously, of of an agent who was actually on the ground and who opened this counterintelligence case uh, into Trump and the Russians. I should say the Trump campaign and the Russians in 2016. And we've, you know, had a lot of uh, information come out about that probe through the Mueller report, through the Senate Intel report, in in recent years and and even weeks with the Senate report. But but this is from a pretty unique perspective. And one of the things that we talked at length about was this counterintelligence investigation into the president himself and what became of it. Because when Mueller took over, he also took over a bunch of FBI agents who were on loan to his office who were supposed to be looking at things that weren't necessarily criminal, that were part of a broader effort to examine the president's relationship with the Russians, whether that be, you know, financial or any kind of compromising situations that he's been put in by by Moscow and his trips there. And they were supposed to then collect that work with the prosecutors, see if there was anything that might support their criminal cases. And then with anything extra, basically, send it back to the Bureau for further examination. Um, But Strzok says that you know, in the three months that he was at that office, he working at the special counsel's office, he really never was able to set up an infrastructure to pursue that investigation, that counterintel investigation into the president himself. And that he was still trying to work out a structure to do that when he was removed from the investigation because of those texts he sent that were critical of Trump. So after he left, he had lunch with his successor, who was not necessarily a counterintelligence uh, expert, but who was a longtime FBI agent. He said, look, you really need to do this because it's an important part of of the probe and you really need to set up a a system for your conclusions um, because this can't only be a criminal inquiry that's too narrow. So he doesn't really know what came of that, but because he was off the team, obviously, but just from his own expertise and his decades of work in the FBI, the things that he saw coming out of Mueller's report were not 
things that you would expect from someone that had done a fulsome counterintelligence investigation. So there wasn't really an accounting of Trump's uh, business history and financial relationships with Russians that might make him uh, compromise. There wasn't really a discussion of, you know, any anything really that might have explained why Trump was so obsequious to the Russians and particularly to Vladimir Putin. Um, one of the big things that he thought would be so important would be to track money and to trace money trails, um, even more than kind of outlining the the contacts that happened between Trump and the campaign and the Russians. And he doesn't think that that ever happened, because if it had, it would have entailed getting a lot of financial records, making a lot of noise, and it would have become public. He's fairly confident of that. So the bottom line here in our conversation was that he doesn't believe that this was ever done, that it's a big piece of the puzzle uh, that was neglected. And, you know, mostly because Mueller saw his own mandate within narrow criminal terms, finding crimes. And, you know, this is this is an area where we still have a huge blind spot. Yeah. And I also think it's interesting that, you know, you bring up he was there for three months and and I believe he was saying it's just such a massive undertaking, this counterintelligence aspect of the investigation of all the agents that he was in charge of, 40 or so that were co-located with Mueller. They were supposed to be giving weekly written summaries back to the FBI, uh, but he was removed before he could set up that structure, that sort of infrastructure to to do that proper counterintelligence reporting. And it was his text messages that removed him. And as I remember from some reporting that I think you had done or had worked on or uh, at least that we had heard about was was that it was Rosenstein that offered those text messages to the media. Yeah. So this is Strzok's belief um, that he believes that the deputy attorney general did have a hand in allowing the Office of Public Affairs at DOJ to release these texts to the media prior to him, Rosenstein, going to Capitol Hill to testify the next day about these text messages. Well, it was a tradition, it was a usual, typical oversight hearing, but he was going to be grilled about the text messages and about the Russia investigation, of course. So part of the um, thinking is that he overruled, essentially, um, the the precedence that has been set to not interfere in an ongoing inspector general investigation by releasing evidence in an investigation um, and got these allowed the, the Department of Public Affairs to release these text messages to the press so that essentially so that, you know, the, the world would have a day to digest them before they were actually being talked about in a congressional hearing the next day. Um, Strzok, I think, has a more suspicious view of that. I think that he believes that it was vindictive and that it was retaliatory and that it was because um, Rosenstein just, you know, didn't didn't like what Stark had said in those text messages and was trying to get back at him somehow. And we should also note, of course, that Strzok is now suing the Justice Department over the release of those text messages. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, we knew from public reporting back then that Rosenstein had narrowed the scope of the Mueller investigation just based on his memos. Uh, outlining what the, the scope of the investigation was. But then Michael Schmidt came out in the New York Times and said, ah, he narrowed it days after he was appointed. So I can see where um, where Strzok, it feels, it feels like a pretext to remove Strzok to me, but that is all speculation. But then we have Andrew Weissman, lawyer from the Mueller team, uh, tweeting out, no, 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 we had agents there. There was a counterintelligence investigation. The FBI knew. Um, because I think what Michael Schmidt was indicating in his reporting was that the FBI didn't know and the Mueller investigation didn't know and they each thought the other was doing the thing. And so there was just sort of that little there's just still that bit of confusion. And the $64,000 question is, where is the CI investigation? Yeah. And I think I think the answer is that it died. Um, I think that, you know, based on my conversations, not only with Strzok, but with others who who are who have recently left the FBI, they say that, you know, that the senior leadership there has no interest in investigating this stuff and that agents have become so withered by the president's constant attacks on people like Strzok and Lisa Page and kind of career officials that they see no incentive to really dive into this stuff. So a counterintelligence investigation of the president himself, um, you know, FBI Director Chris Wray, as Strzok said, would probably be happy to just say, look, let's let Mueller handle all of this. We don't need this headache. It's, we're fine having this off our plate. Um, and then with Weissman's comment about how, you know, people on the FBI had been embedded in the special counsel's office, 
you know, he struck specifically told me that that's not really a great answer. It's not entirely true because the bureau thought that the special counsel's team got, had it. And the special counsel's team apparently thought that the FBI was sending all of this back to the bureau with the intention of it being, you know, cycled into a robust CI investigation. So it was, it was a kind of willful missing of, of signals there where the special counsel's team was like, well, you know, this isn't really our mandate. And the FBI was like, well, Mueller's got this. So it was just totally like lost in translation. And another thing he said was that Strzok said was that good CI work really needs to be this kind of robust cycle. You can't just shunt everything off to the FBI. The people need to be doing that work within the special counsel's office. Um, so unless you're not doing it that way, unless you're or unless you are doing it that way, it's not going to be particularly effective. Um, and for Weissman to just say, well, we have these people embedded in our office and they were tracking this stuff and sending it back to the bureau. That doesn't mean that anything ever came of it. And in fact, it looks like it did. Yeah. And I, I would love to hear from Mueller uh, because he put in his report that they were co-located and sending back weekly summaries of counterintelligence materials. But, you know, again, that's the $64,000 question. And then finally, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about something I found interesting in the book, what you, what your thoughts were. Um, because apparently um, the Gang of Eight was briefed before the investigation was opened. And that included Mitch McConnell and Devin Nunes, who, and uh, according to Strzok, no one objected. And that sort of goes against this narrative that we keep hearing now, you know, as we come toward the election or as, as, as Bill Barr is trying to sort of conduct this investigation into the investigators. Uh, what What do you make of that? I mean... It seems to me that objecting, like if you were McConnell and Nunes, I know it's hard to imagine, but <laughs> the the investigation is going to happen whether you object or not. So why not not object and be friendly to the probe so that you can, you know, take intel back to the White House as it happens? Yeah, I, it just it doesn't seem it doesn't seem odd to me that they didn't object. Yeah, so it might have been that. They wanted to stay on good terms with the investigators. I think that's definitely a possibility. But at the same time, you know, not having a reaction when agents from the FBI tell you we're investigating the president of the United States also seems like a very far cry from the picture that they've wanted to project of themselves as kind of like the president's warriors, right? I mean, people like Devin Nunes, who has been so, you know, vocally, if not disingenuously opposed to this investigation, for him, for, for Peter Strzok to now say that he didn't say a peep during that briefing, I mean, if I were the president, I'd be pretty angry at Devin Nunes. <laughs> like, if they were getting briefed on this, and Nunes said nothing, and didn't kind of stand up to the deep state, um, I'd have questions. So I think that's a possibility. But, you know, another funny part of, of that story is that no one wanted Nunes in that briefing. Struck says yeah. that, that, we knew like, that we knew yeah. that, right? That was public reporting from before. Right. That that, that it was like, no, you got to leave because you recused yourself. But Nunes was like, no, I'm going to stay. So so I think that regardless of, of whether or not they objected, information obviously got back to the White House from that. Yeah. And his wanting to stay just sort of furthers my speculation, which is purely speculation that he was like, no, nah, I'm going to let this happen and go back to the president and be like, they're investigating you and I'll tell you all about it um but who knows what a weirdo um and uh i mean was there before before i let you go i know that i said that was my last question was there anything that you didn't know already that just stood out to you in this book like the top thing that you were like whoa um you know there's really nothing brand new in this book um i think probably one of the biggest things for me was for him to say that he saw classified intelligence in 2016 that suggested that Russia actually held back four years ago and that they had actually stolen more material and that they had mastered other techniques um, that perhaps were not made public because they didn't wield them four years ago, but that they could now. Um, that was one of the things that, you know, even given Strzok's long career in the FBI and his his desire to remain private and keep you know, secret, secret, that was, that's, that struck me as something that went a bit further. Um, and in that way, because he's not an alarmist, um, just based on his book and based on my conversations with him, that really struck me as, uh, you know, something that, that we need to watch out for. Yeah. And we did know from previous reporting that they also hacked the RNC and we never saw any of that material. So exactly. 
maybe that's what he's referring to. Who knows? But anyway, thank you so much. Everybody, you really need to check out um, this this piece by Natasha Bertrand in Politico. She is the national security correspondent. Peter Strzok would like to clear a few things up. We'll be talking to him tomorrow. But Natasha, thanks for speaking with me today. Thanks so much. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the Flip It Blue segment with Mia Mason from Maryland. Stay with us. Hey, Daily Beans listeners. This segment of the podcast is brought to you by the best mattress in the universe, Helix Sleep. Uh, Some of us, uh, you know, are having a hard time sleeping. As you know, I've had a really tough time sleeping for the last four years. I lay awake, I toss and turn, I'm unable to rest, and then I'm tired and worn out the next day. And at first I thought my insomnia was caused by the anxiety and gaslighting of this administration. It's it's a a lot of work to, to obsessively research the news coming out of this White House. But it turned out I also had a garbage mattress. Well, thank you, Helix Sleep. Um, They understand that you are unique, and they customize a mattress to fit you and your sleep patterns. They created a sleep quiz online that takes two minutes, and they use the answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. If you like a mattress that's soft or firm, or if you're asleep on your back, or if you're a side sleeper, or you sleep really hot, with Helix, there is a specific mattress for each and everyone's unique taste. Uh, I was matched to the Helix Midnight because I like a bed medium firm, and I sleep on my side, so it's perfect for me. But you don't have to take my word for it, or Joelle's, or Amanda's, uh, or Jordan's because we, you know, we love ours. It's the best mattress we've ever had. Helix was actually number uh, awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2019, and now again in 2020 by GQ and Wired magazine. So just go to HelixSleep.com/dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. It is like sleeping on a cloud. It is amazing, and they have a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights, risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time to Flip It Blue. And joining me today is Democratic candidate for U.S. House in Maryland's 1st District. She is running against Republican incumbent Andy Harris. Please welcome Mia Mason to the show. Mia, thanks for joining me today. Awesome. Pleasure to join you. Thank you so much for bringing me on and allowing me to talk to your audience today. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and I got to tell you, um, you know, I put out a tweet calling for folks to recommend who we should bring on that are, that's trying to flip, you know, flip a seat in the House because, you know, we really want to focus on holding the House and flipping a couple seats, few seats if we can. And uh, many, many people recommended we speak with you. So I'm very honored to talk to you today. Uh, wonderful. Thank you so much to all supporters who have decided to reach out to Allison and say, hey, I'm worth supporting. <laughs> you definitely are. Now, uh, first of all, you are a veteran, um, Navy, Army, and D.C. National Guard. Goodness, that's that's quite... That's quite a resume. And I am also, I'm a disabled, I'm a veteran, I'm a disabled veteran, and you're a 20-year veteran, and you're the first LGBT candidate to run for Congress in Maryland. What has that been like? Well, I honestly didn't expect to be the first of something, but I'm pretty proud that I am first of something because I actually won our election. I'm looking to win this November. Uh, it's been a long struggle to make sure that I could even get to the point to retire, uh, we are going through a huge pandemic right now where people are losing their homes, their cars, everything, uh, their health care. And I, I hope we're able to talk about some of these issues later on. Yeah, we definitely will. And I also wanted to bring up, you know, in light of the Atlantic article and, and what Trump has been known to say about veterans and American war dead, you did five combat tours in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about what that sort of leadership experience will bring to the U.S. Congress? Well, I'll tell you this. It provides diversity, something this administration has right now decided to attack. It's unbelievable that, you know, our normal diversity training that we have every year or every quarter is something that they're trying to strip away from our veterans, away from our federal employees, and away from all of our employers. They're really trying to dismantle the EEOC, the offices that are around our entire government to make sure that we have equity and equality because they've tried for the last four years to strip away our Civil Rights Act and they have failed. And this is why we must proceed to get elected to make sure that our ERA 
gets protected in the House and gets passed in the Senate once we're elected. A hundred percent. I also think it's very important that our Congress represent the American people um, and the Republican Party is is really lagging on that. Yes, they are. It is something that I find completely detrimental to all of our communities, especially you and I, because we're veterans. You know, I served from 9-11 at war from then all the way to 2013. So I started right over there in the mix of it after the towers fell in that October, November and December on the USS Kitty Hawk. Then we were sent over to Iraq twice on the USS Kitty Hawk. And then I transferred ships thinking, hey, maybe I need a break, you know? And then guess what? We ended up with hurricane season, one of the strongest ones, just like we're facing right now. And we were on the tail end of Hurricane Katrina on the USS Baton. So that was my Navy experience. And then I was like, you know what? I miss that action. I miss that camaraderie. I miss that that teamwork, you know, the military's kicking everybody out on the top side, the bottom side, and I'm in the middle. Let me go ahead and get into the Army and see if I can get promoted. And then I was in Afghanistan for two more times as an infantrywoman. All right, well, thank you so much for your service. And I wanted to touch on something that you just mentioned, the the, the, the terrible hurricane season. And they, they continue to get more intense these storms as time goes on. And one of your key issues is the environment. Can you talk a little bit about what you would do uh, for to combat climate change? Yes, and we will take what we've seen passed in the House of the Green New Deal and start implementing it to make sure that we get past this climate crisis, that this climate change is squelched. We're currently in climate recovery because the damage is already done and we are suffering from one storm to another, hurricanes, floods, you know, fire storms, forest fires, you name it, hail storms and tornadoes. This is all the result of man-made destruction made by us. It is climate change, and we need to be able to take the incremental steps to stop all carbon pollution and make sure that we also incentivize our businesses to become net zero so that we can have a next generation succeed us in their new and renewable energy business that will help us be sustainable here on this earth for the next millennia. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and coming from a military background, we you know and I know that even though there are many Republicans uh, who deny a cl- you know climate science, the Pentagon uh, accepts it and recognizes it and is, is making uh, changes and, and moves and plans to, to combat it. And I wanted to ask you a little bit more specifically about your district, Maryland's first district. Uh, tell me a little bit about your district and, and why some of these environmental things are important to you, like the Delvarma Pipeline, offshore drilling, and supporting the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Well... To start in reverse, we're going to talk about the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Right now, we need to make sure that they're fully funded and our EPA is fully in compliance with supporting our Maryland State EPA so that we can continue to make sure that our shores are protected and not being washed away or neglected like in Dorchester or Somerset, where basically we might have to end up buying your front yard and your backyard in order to relocate you because of climate change. We need to make sure that our bay waters and our rivers are protected to make sure that our fishermen and the oysters and the crabs that we get are delicious for the next generation. As far as like for the offshore drilling, that's a big no-no. The best thing that we can do is to make sure that as we get rid of uh, fossil fuels, that we install something renewable, either solar or wind, and that can be done offshore so that doesn't harm our farmland or community development here on the Eastern Shore. And of course, a lot of folks are up in arms about this Del Varma pipeline. And I have to say, you know, we really don't need it. Where is it going to go? How far is it going to go down to the shore? We've seen over 30-plus years of neglect on pipelines and spills and catastrophes happen. Do we really need that in our backyard? Do our farmers need this right now when they need to be able to plant something and not be forced out of their home because of imminent domain? Let's be serious about this and make sure that we stop the pipeline, protect our bay, and invest in renewable energy so that we can succeed tomorrow.
and today. And your your uh, Maryland's first is pretty rural and red. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about some of the right to rural opportunities that you support um, to provide schools and health care and to provide farmers with the right to control their land. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I know that that's something that's very important to your district. Absolutely. So we have some of the 24 district uh, counties. Uh, I wish there was 24 districts, but, you know, um, we have 12 of the 24 counties. Nine of them are on the eastern shore. Majority of all of that is from land, poultry, and, of course, you know, for thoroughbred racing, making sure that our horses are ready to go around over downs and, of course, uh, up there in We need to make sure that we have a pathway forward. We need to make sure that we have some type of legalization or farmer bill of rights to make sure that uh, what we are being able to provide them will last and make sure that they have something of a product that will be profitable for them. We also need to make sure that the infrastructure and the technology is available by making sure that they have broadband. So that when we send our kids to school and they say, like, well, I can't be a farmer. I don't have the latest this. I don't have the latest that. And they're sitting there in their school or at a McDonald's watching stuff on YouTube and other countries that we don't even have here. And we're talking about the increased production that we can have by investing in this technology, investing in our district. But Representative Harris has simply voted no against this time and time again. And this is why many families, they understand that this is their land, this is their vote. And this is why they need to be able to make sure that they make a difference tomorrow. Because the thing is, is we're going to have 34 days of voting coming up where they can mail in their ballot simply and safe without having to worry about this pandemic. Because the other concern that faces our world community is the time it takes them to see a doctor. It's two to three hours or an hour drive just to see a doctor and if you miss out on your appointment or you're late stuck in traffic or trying to cross a bridge or a waterway it is a tremendous pain in the butt so if we actually are able to get medicare for all and get telehealth passed just like i have in my medicare my tricare for life you know i can talk to my doctor directly i can talk to my nurse directly and get the health care i need immediately without having to make a phone call, leave a voicemail, wait for Monday at 9, wait for Tuesday or Thursday to go to a lab. This can change if we provide Medicare for all for our rural communities because guess what? Eastern Shore only has like one big provider and they're a monopoly just like cable companies and it must change. Mm. Yes, agreed. And before I let you go, um, just as a veteran, something that's near and dear to me, uh, and I've worked at the Department of Veterans Affairs for over a decade um, under Obama mostly. Uh, but in you know, again, in recent light of of what we're learning and what we've already known about how this administration feels about and treats veterans and active duty service members, Esper cutting two point two billion in Tricare. Um, trying to privatize the VA, having his three Mar-a-Lago buddies ghost run the VA. Tell us what you will do to fight for our veterans if elected. Well, we're going to first make sure that we get rid of those Trump cronies that are trying to privatize our health care, trying to take away our dependents and our folks who need the health care and our families. Even if they're serving active duty, they were trying to cut that health care from our veterans. And, of course, this also is part where Trump called us Trump's uh, losers and basically suckers because, guess what, you know, we've gone through some of the toughest times from 9-11 all the way to present day. We were fighting arm in arm, neck in neck, brothers and sisters. Some of us were able to live. Some of us got wounded. Some of us passed away. But what that is afterwards, once we get out, we need to make sure that we have that mental health. The VA has this choice program, but it's kind of been dismantled. They tell us where they want us to go now. And we need to make sure that that gets reinstituted so that when you call someone, you get an answer, you get the health care that you need right then and there as a veteran. Because I tell you, you know, a veteran commits suicide, like <laughs> contemplating it, you know, quite often. And right now, the suicide rate for a veteran is around 21 to 22 per day, depending on what's going on in the entire world and country. And I tell you, we need to be able to drastically lower that. And that is something that you and I can both, you know, do battle buddy checks on others and support them in their needs and give them the 
for care because the VA may only be open Monday through Friday, but we are always available 24-7, just like we serve our country 24-7, 365 days a year. That's the type of representation I want to be able to provide once I'm in Congress. Excellent. That that makes me so happy that we have so many people willing to work for our veterans. And, you know, we we know the Choice Act was put in place by Obama, by the way, as a temporary stopgap measure to help get people access to care. But you and I know that when the VA gives care directly uh, or, you know, if we fund the VA, that that health care has better scientifically proven evidence-based outcomes, better customer service, and it's just a higher quality of care, and it's cheaper for our taxpayers. It's less of a, t- of a burden on our taxpayers, and we really need to fund that and expand our mental health care, just like you said. So I really appreciate you addressing that. I agree. I agree, because the biggest thing is, is the majority of our VA centers are also attached to universities. So we are also teaching the next generation of nurses and doctors to support us for the next future veterans who have decided to pledge to our country to serve, to protect us from enemies, foreign and domestic. Because I tell you, Representative Harris will take adversaries' advice and support their Republican buddies. Yeah, and it seems like your opponent, Harris, also has no idea that the VA exists also not only to help veterans serve veterans and and be teaching hospitals, but that they also help train and keep Department of Defense active duty military doctors uh, at readiness levels so that when they go out uh, to, to serve our troops in the, in the field and in combat, they are trained and ready and prepared. That is absolutely true, because whenever I go to see a doctor, I love seeing that they still have their uniform hanging up and that we are like, you know, brothers and sisters at arms. Well, do me a favor. Tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can contribute to your campaign and how how we can help support you. Sure. I'd love to do that. People can follow me on all social media platforms at Mia number 4MD. That's Mia for md they can find all of our donation links at miadmason.us. Find all of our events on Facebook using the MIA4MD as well. So make sure that you join us. Find an event. Support us. We have some limited in-person opportunities coming up here in Maryland if you're in the district. Uh, all right. Thank you so much. So everybody, you got that. You got your marching orders. Follow at MIA4MD. Spread the word. Contribute. And and help get volunteers to assist uh, in in just making more people aware of this incredible campaign. Mia Mason, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me and everybody. Have a wonderful, safe time. Hey, everybody, it's AG. I know life has been pretty stressful for all of us lately, and we could use a break from arguing online and quarantining at home. If you're looking for a fun way to give yourself a break while keeping your brain engaged and on top of your game, and you you can enjoy breathtaking visuals and a gripping story and fun music and beautiful colors, the answer is Best Fiends. I love Best Fiends. It's a refreshing pause from the daily insanity of politics and pandemics, but it keeps my mind focused and active. Um, Best Fiends, for me, is a great stress reliever. It's part of my self-care routine. I can focus on character collection, the, the fun and challenging puzzles that engage my brain, and it's fun. Remember fun? I miss fun, but this is so fun. I started playing Best Fiends once um, once in a while for a quick, distra- dis- uh, quick distraction, but I, w- I was quickly just enthralled with it. A bright, beautiful visual design. I got deeper into the story. I got all my characters up there. I started leveling them up. Most of the characters are bugs, and the antagonists are slugs, so it's like who's in the White House. And you get to collect tons of characters, and you need to use them strategically, though. It's a brain game, and you do it for each level. And, uh, you know, I find myself playing more and more in weird places at random times because it doesn't require Internet. So you don't have to worry about Wi-Fi access or using cell data. Uh, And Best Fiends treats the game like a service for their players. It's updated monthly with new levels and events. It never gets old. Uh, I am now on level 480. um, So that's pretty cool. And uh, you, yeah, we've got a bunch of listeners who update us with the hashtag Best Fiends and tell us what level they're on. So Best Fiends is a unique and exciting puzzle experience, and it's unlike any other games out there. You really need to try it. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're 
And it is Wednesday, and that means it is AGDG time. I am joined by comedian and activist Dana Goldberg for the good news today. Hey, Dana. Hey, AG. So good to be back. Uh, I love this segment. It makes my week better. Mm, it is so wonderful. I fucking love it. Um, the good news that you guys send in in your quarantine confessions we like to put at the end of the show, it lifts our spirits. And if you have any good news stories, whether they're political or personal, if you have any quarantine confessions or anything, you can send them uh, in at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And you'll see from the little drop down menu, you can pick what your poison is. And today we have got some really, really good um, submissions. And there's some pod pets. And I'm really excited about that. And uh, just some really great stuff. So I'm going to kick it off. And... Our first bit of good news is from JC, no pronouns given, and JC says, I finally have some good news. Yesterday, I had my first day of work in six months. I am a stagehand, so my industry got hit bad, probably the worst out of any industry. But yesterday, I got to help set up a huge stage for a drive-in theater. It was 10 hours... Um, out on a horse farm in New Jersey. It was all heavy lifting all day, but at least it was a nice day. And temps didn't go above 80. Everyone took precautions very seriously. And it was really nice to see my union brothers and sisters. The only downside was having to turn down a few days because setup continues, um, turn down a few days because setup continues next week. And my kids go virtual those days for school. But it's good to see that there is some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. JC, that's awesome. I love it. I mean, to get back to work, the arts industry in general, I mean, I know this firsthand. Um, I basically got grounded in March, Allison, you know, so to hear this story about someone getting back to work, it actually gets that little fire in my chest going, I can't wait to get back on stage in front of an audience. I don't know what it's going to look like, but hopefully uh, it'll happen. People will wear a mask. Uh, we'll have a new president. We'll have a plan to, you know, fix the coronavirus and we can all get back to the things we love doing. Yeah, we should try to do find some big space like in, I don't know, Irvine or something where we can have a massive drive-in comedy show and like do the, like you're on stage and they get the feed through their phones or something where they can hear you. I don't know. I feel like we need to do that. No, they're actually doing it. It's a great idea that Irving, the Irvine Improv is doing it literally in a parking lot with drive-ins. So there's, it's, it's happening. I think we just need to figure out how to do it and do it. Oh. I mean, it would be awesome. We could do a, you could do a live podcast. We could do a live podcast. Are you kidding me? Just go Irvine Improv for stealing my idea. No, I'm kidding. That, that, that is so awesome though, because <laughs> seriously, you know, I, you know, before I started podcasting, I was a comedian and, and I'm, I, I just, it tears me up that I'm not on stage, you know? Yeah. It's been, I'm, I'm literally been, um, I've been surviving on tips from my loyal fans and that has been the world to me. So, uh, we're getting through it. We are getting through it, but we have more good news. We've got more good news from Katie, pronouns she and her. She says, hello, Laguminati, longtime listener and grateful to whomever sponsored me. I have to share some great news. I'm so proud of my 33-year-old son, Randy, handsome and single. I love this one so much. Oh, hey, lady. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's t- Or man, I have yep, no yep. idea. We'll find or out. Gentlemen. He's taking vacation the week of the election. Yeah. <laughs> He's taking vacation the week of the election so he can volunteer to give free rides to anyone who needs a ride to their polling place. What a mensch. How awesome is that? Thank you for all that you do. If any listener is interested in my son, he's on Facebook still with a face palm. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if Katie's a good Jewish mother, but that sure sounded like a good Jewish setup to me. That's what it sounded like to me, too. NBC Rachel like Rose. Most... Oh, I think I could be a mother-in-law to NBC <laughs> Rachel Rose. Any takers? Any takers? <laughs> oh man, that's that's great, Katie. Congratulations! What a cool son. Everyone, um, check him out. He's on Facebook still. Facepalm. Check him out. Just make sure tell tell your son wear a mask. Randy, wear a mask in that car. Make sure everyone in that car is also wearing a mask with you. That's it. That's all I have to say. Yes, please, and carry that hand sanitizer and get some wipes and just make sure everything is all safety safe. Um, but what a great thing that you're doing. Um, I think that's incredible. I know. All right, next next up, uh, we have a good news from Maria, pronouns she and her. Hi, Beans ladies. I'm a longtime patron and Beans devotee. I wanted to share a bit of good news, universe love, from the past weekend. It's a longish good news story, so no worries if it can't be shared on air. I just want to pass along the blessings. Oh, nope, we're doing it, Maria. <laughs> buckle in, pe- buckle in, get a snack. Let's do this, people. All right, yeah, pack a lunch. Here we go. Uh, my mom is a massage therapist dedicated to helping wounded veterans. Oh, oh that's amazing. 
Uh, during the day, she works a full-time job as a high school paraprofessional, and the rest of her time is spent in the service of our heroes. Four times a month, she makes a 200-mile round trip to Fort Belvoir and Walter Reed Medical Center to provide holistic treatments for recovering troops. She has spent the last three years as a volunteer at the Richmond VA Medical Center in the hopes of creating a full-time massage therapist position. COVID has dashed some of those hopes as the massage program has been indefinitely put on hold. My mom is 62 years young, and although she has never been a soldier, she is a fighter. When Trump was elected, she hung a huge handmade sign in the front yard of her very red neighborhood that said, Make America Kind Again. And she bought a bright blue light. She brought a bright blue light and an ugly red sea. But later, her energy, lately, her energy has been waning. For Labor Day, I decided it would be good to have a socially distanced barbecue to lift her spirits. I've been thinking of the Emily Dickinson poem. Uh, hope, uh, hope is a thing with feathers. I wasn't sure why, but I wrote it on a card and gave it to her when we arrived. A short while later, we were relaxing uh, around the grill, and something big flies overhead. Mom jumps to her feet and says, it's an eagle. It was a bald eagle. It circled her house for several minutes before flying away. Uh, I know eagles live in central Virginia, but I've never seen one. And if that's not hope, uh, this beautiful thing with feathers, I don't know what is. I am attaching a photo of my mom's yard sign. And there it is. Look. Which is fantastic. That's great. Uh, with a heart with, that's like got an American flag inside of it. I love it. I mean. I will share that on the newsletter. That is fantastic. AG, we have a confession next. We've got a, we've got a quarantine confession. This is anonymous pronoun. Ooh. She and her. Yes, this payroll tax. Uh-oh. This payroll tax deferment has me worried. As a federal employee, I can't opt out of this nonsense. But the lack of clarity about when the government will be collecting the taxes again means my tax compliance is being threatened. This honestly feels like an attack from higher up in the executive branch against us on the ground, threatening to put us in trouble with the very agencies we work for. I think she might be actually onto something. I mean, he has systematically dismantled so many agencies below him that I would not be surprised if uh, if, if she's right. Yeah, and, and Trump is now using um, this payroll tax deferment on troops and federal employees to cut funding for Social Security. And that's what this is. He's trying to defund Social Security, uh, make it insolvent so that sometime down the road, the Republicans can say, we can't pay for it anymore. We're just going to have to get rid of it. You're going to have to have right. your own private uh, retirement shit. That's yeah. what's happening. Yep. They start the fire. And he's using our military and federal civil servants. Yep. Thank you for that confession. I'm sorry it's got you shook. It's got us shook too. But, you know, we got to vote and numbers too big to manipulate and fire this fuck face. Amen to that. <laughs> Next up, um, I have a good news uh, from Terrierist, uh, who loves Terriers. God loves a Terrier. That's all I can oh think Oh, my of. God. The best. I mean, <laughs> best in show. I can't. I can't. It's, it's still one of my favorite movies of all time. And her voice. God loves a Terrier. Like, it's just so... <laughs> so amazing. Um, pronouns are she, her. Uh, and she says, happy gotcha day to my wee man, Hammy McBacon Fat, a Scottish terrier, was picked up eight years ago today. He was born a grumpy little old man with a gray beard. Sometimes we call him the senator because he looks so dignified. <laughs> Most of the time we call him Hambone because he's a total goober. Proud Scottish clan, the McBacon Fats. And there he is. Oh, he's so cute. Oh, my God. He's adorable. That was the least kosher good news I've ever heard in my life. Mm. Look at that dog. I love terriers. They're the cutest. And I do love their little beards. They're so sweet. He does look like a senator. He does. I mean, definitely a Democratic one because he's so cute. But yeah, he would do way better than Lindsey Graham. We should vote McBacon fat in. <laughs> in South Carolina. In South Carolina instead of Lindsey Graham. Actually, donate to Jamie. Okay. We got good news. Yes. Yeah. Do it now. Donate to Jamie Harrison. He is so close and he can do it. Oh, and you just have to have it. the we will. You just have to have the will. Do it. Here we go. Mm. We got more good news. This is from Gilly. Pronouns she and her. This is a good news story coming from Melbourne, Australia. We're currently six weeks into a hard lockdown. Our beautiful city is fighting back a second wave outbreak. Our school years run in line with the calendar year here. So our kids have experienced more than half of their academic year in home learning. My poor daughter just turned 18 during the this, missed her school formal, 18th birthday party, mm. hasn't been able to get her driver's license, and will not have a graduation, scolies, or valedictorian dinner. Good Lord, I really do feel for these seniors especially. 
Mm. <sighs> she and yeah. her friends have lost everything this year, including their final times together as friends, all the while having to maintain their grades so they can still get a place at the university. Normally, you do exams, get a number ranking, and then get an offer based on your number, and kids really stress about this number. So one of the unis has opened up applications for early entry. Regardless of this dreaded number, my daughter applied, wrote a smashing personal statement, organized for support statement from her school, and got an offer to do Bachelor of Arts. Awesome. We were so happy with relief. We cried our eyes out. The confidence it will give her. I'm sure she will help. it will help make her through this dreadful year. AG, I mean, to see the resilience in the youth. I know it sounds strange to people, but these are formative years for these kids. Formative years, and they are missing. I mean, kids that, you know, were going to get scholarships to sports, but they're not playing sports. It's really affected them. So to hear these stories of the resilience of these kids from all over the world, I love it. It's heartwarming. They're going to be the most incredible leaders, and and you know, I am I have so much hope for for our country because of these kids. Yeah. I really do. I'm a little worried about the school age, like the elementary school, because right now they're getting homeschooled by people that are day drinking. But everything will be fine. Everything they'll get to middle school, they'll get to high school. We're going to turn it around, people. We're going to turn it around. We are. <laughs> we can do this. We just got to vote. We got to vote. <sighs> Any plan is better than the, the anti-plan, right? So um, next up, <clears throat> we have a good news story uh, from A.D., and the pronouns are he and him. In one of the only pieces of good news that actually has touched me deeply, the sad orca uh, has a new baby. What? The sad orca has... There was an orca that lost her calf, A.D. <gasps> oh, that's right. Yeah, this is a great story. She had a baby. And she had a baby. I burst into tears. I am not alone, according to the write-up, and I think others might remember the story and feel real joy at this. I love good eco-news. Who didn't ache when they read about her mourning her dead calf for weeks? That's right. They were swimming. She was swimming around with it. Um, uh, But the new baby is healthy, which researchers say has already beaten the odds. Maybe the whales are thriving this year because we aren't being as disruptive. Oh, and and then he, he included the the article that orca carried dead calf for 17 days gives birth to birth to healthy new baby yes i remember this story i heard it on yeah NPR. oh my yeah. god that's awesome though oh. that's awesome that she has a new one i love it we've got more good news there's more good news this is from Catherine in oakland my good news is that last week i launched a product i designed and built myself this is great i've been working on it mm. On nights and weekends for more than a year, but the moment when I actually put the thing out there is super hard because I put so much of myself into the design and the the development. So I'm celebrating that I did it, that I put myself, my idea, my product out there. It's a little mechanical device that removes fine facial hair. Honey, I could use one of those right now. Oh my God. You put a magnifying glass up to my hair, it's like I have a five o'clock shadow. I'm a Jew. There's nothing I can do. This is a device that removes fine facial hairs. I like it because it's reusable and sustainable. I get to use the USPS to send it. Fabulous. And I make it myself in the United States. Well done as well. All the best to UAG and the entire team. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I am palpably excited to vote in just a few weeks. Mm, yep. Five Scaramucci's. Oh, God. And we get to vote. I know. My goodness. I, I actually forgot very about exciting. the month of October the other day. It was very embarrassing. It was September 3rd. And I was like, holy shit, we only have a month left. And my friend was like, are you okay? I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Just completely <laughs> forgot about the month of October. <laughs> Fuck October. <laughs> be nice if we could skip over it. But oh, I sure would. I want to see that. I want to see that October 7th debate between Kamala and oh, yes. Mike Pence. Though. Me too. All right. <laughs> so we have uh, one more good news story from Anonymous. In March, when my home state, New York, shut down due to coronavirus, I started a hobby, which has now morphed into a charity project. I got sick of listening to newscasters' muffled news reports and seeing their faces covered with massive diapers. I decided to put my Fashion Institute of Technology design skills to work and create a two-layer cotton mask with a filter pocket that doesn't look god-awful. It's comfortable to wear, it doesn't suck into your face when you <laughs> breathe, and it doesn't muffle your speech. It was a tall order, I know, but I wanted to do something. Working remotely gave me two and a half extra hours a day since I'm not commuting. So at the end of my workday, I log off and I sit at my sewing machine. I started with a pattern and found on the internet and made some masks for friends asking for feedback. I took that feedback and gradually revised my pattern. I've made hundreds of masks for friends and their friends. And now I think I'm close to my goal. As people receive their masks, they rave about them and insist on paying. I initially reinvested any money I received back into the project for buying stamps to send the, the, the mask by priority mail. 
recently I've started to ask people to no- donate to Feeding America through a link on my Facebook page. So far, total donated is $750, and I'm still making masks in many different patterns and colors. This project has been a sanity saver for me. Sewing is relaxing for me. I listen to music and escape from this shit show we're living in while feeling like, like I'm contributing something to the awesome. cause. That is incredible. And please, hey, you're anonymous, but send me the link. Send me the info and we'll get it out there, girl. We'll put it out to 100,000 people. Do it. And then let's get one to Randy, who's driving people to the polls. I know Randy needs a mask. So, you know, paying it forward, paying it forward. There's good people doing good things in this world. I love these stories, AG. I love them. And he's 33 and single, ladies. (laughs) And he's takers. And gentlemen. (laughs) If you, you know, if you're... Yeah, uh, that kind of thing and uh that is it that's the good news block dana thank you so much for joining me i love that you're here on on wednesdays i really appreciate it agdg is one of my favorite things now i love it it's always a pleasure and to get the good news with you it's it's what i look forward to each and every week uh, i appreciate it so much uh everybody until tomorrow please take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of your mental health and take care of the planet i've been ag i've been dg and them's the beans The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joelle Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.